The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Um, can we bow our heads for prayer real quick? Lord, we love you. We thank you um, for all that has preceded this moment. And uh, we are praying that you would uh, use me, uh, especially on a topic that I'm probably the most least qualified to preach about. Uh, God, would you use this broken vessel, Lord God, to communicate truth to your people. God, would you challenge where we are comfortable. And God, would you comfort where we are afflicted. In your darling son Jesus' name, say amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, y'all, I can't apologize for the energy. It's just there. I just got it. I just got it. Don't be alarmed. And I speak at higher decibels. And uh, so it's, I'm not fussing. I'm really excited. I just get excited. And, ah, I just start yelling a little bit. So don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Tell your neighbor, don't be alarmed. No, you're, all right, there we go. Hey, Richard has um, kind of embarked upon this series uh, entitled "Can You See?" and it was, it's 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 the idea that uh, for those people, uh, by God's grace, they have been invited into a kingdom, um, one that has certain characteristics and values. And last week, uh, Richard began to talk and speak about a hope, and that this kingdom, by grace through faith, that you found this thing because God came after you, and and now you've been given a new hope in the middle of a hopeless world. And he also talked about this kingdom that also provides a hope that will make you alive again. You remember, you, remember, you know, when, when you, uh, uh, I think I was in the fifth grade and uh, uh, I was in Plattsburgh Air Force and uh, it's a little white girl with freckles. That was my first girlfriend. And my world came alive, right? Uh, now my wife does it for me. Amen. I get to be alive every day. Every day. (laughs) But you know, the kingdom, this hope, it kind of makes you alive again, right? And then ultimately, this kingdom provides a hope that's eternal. It will live on past this world, and and that's why we're glad to be a part of it. I just want to kind of add, it's almost like a part two to it. Um, This kingdom, uh, once you've seen the hope, um, and and, and Richard, we're we're working on the imagery, but it's almost like, man, uh, I can show you the world. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Can I, do I have any Disney people in here? Amen, amen, lights and walls, amen for the Disney folk. But anyway, it's almost like you get your eyes open to, to this brand new world, right? And you can see this brand new hope. And, and now you can even see this, this king father that we have, right? It's not that we have a king and we're his subjects, but we actually have a father now. We, the Romans says we can call out to him daddy, right? So we have this dad who's the king. I, I wonder sometimes how Sasha and Malia, how they feel, you know, the, oh, that's my dad who just gave the executive order, right? Like, that's got to feel kind of special, right? But we have the same thing. Like, the ruler of the universe is our daddy. Can I get an amen? Somebody up in here. You ever, you have just meditated on that truth? That your daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's your dad. Did you know that? Turn your neighbor and say, that's your daddy. Turn your other neighbor and say, hey, brother, sister, hey. <laughs> anyway, so that's our dad, right? We get to see the king, we get to understand him, and now we get to interact with him in a different way. We get to interact with the king of the universe, the author of creation, in a different way. We get to submit to him, we get to love, worship, and obey him. And so, um, where we're going to stare today is Matthew 5. If you could thumb your Bibles to it, Matthew 5, I'll read the first 12 verses, and, uh, and then we'll start to take a dive. All right? He says... Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, 
his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me just give you a little backdrop, right? So after 400 years of silence, we see kind of uh, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the, uh, the scriptures open back up to us with Matthew. And Matthew is this guy who's writing collectively to a largely Jewish audience, right? And he starts with, uh, in chapter 1, this big old genealogy. Now, how many of y'all have ever uh, said, man, I'm going to read the Bible this year. And you start in Matthew 1 and you start reading the genealogy and old bad begets so bad and so bad and then it was out right you, you checked out on day three day one of the your 365 day plan you was like uh, i'm out right but anyway that big genealogy is there because what matthew wants to do is he wants to make a a legitimate claim that jesus is a part of the davidic royal line and lineage right and so you kind of move through two and three and uh we see in chapters three and four uh this is kind of like the more exciting if you go to mark and other gospels you kind of see uh jesus kind of doing these things that are just really transcending anything that anybody from any earthly power can do. All of a sudden, this brother's healing uh, uh, lepers and, and fevers, and he's casting out demons. I could imagine and if I was Jesus, that's why I couldn't be Jesus. I'd have been like, Booyah! Bang! Like, Jesus is killing it, right? He is killing it. I command you, come out of him, right? He is literally tearing it up. Now, he's tearing it up so much, if you can imagine that, it, what what would we do if we found out that everybody from St. Jude is all of a sudden wheeling themselves down or UT Medical, they're wheeling themselves down to Main Street because there's some healer, right? What would we do all the way out in Germantown? Man, what's going on down there, right? And so we're coming to see. And so what we see, and, and some have called this kind of Jesus' years of popularity, where he's doing so many things that are so extraordinary, he's gaining a crowd. And so there's large followers always following him because they're kind of caught up in the hype. Just like a Golden State Warrior fan. You're just kind of caught up in the hype because we're so good. I mean, you just kind of just bandwagon it, right? Anyway, that's another sermon in another place, right? Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> anyway. So now we kind of pause, and at the top of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, is, Jesus specifically says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He says, This particular conversation is not going to be reserved for the bandwagoners. This particular conversation is not going to be reserved for those who are kind of just following the hype. This conversation is going to be for those who call themselves my disciples. And so he begins to kind of tell them what a king's kid kind of looks like, right? And so I can remember, it's funny, I got an eight-year-old boy who's playing on this flag football team. And, um, you know, one thing I know, in the, when you're in the deep south, not the mid-south, in the deep south, we love our football. And so, 
you know, people pay ungodly amounts of money to have people yell at your kids and tell them what to do and hit people or whatever, and you'll be there literally 20 hours a week for practices or whatever. Now, in the mid-south, it's a little different. You know, we got one practice a week. It's not as, it's not as strenuous. But, and so some of those people really just want me out there babysitting their kids. And so Tommy's throwing his cleat at the other Bobby, and they're hitting each other with water. And, you know, and so it's easy, though, for my son to kind of want to get caught up in that, right? And so then, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I'll see him taking the football and hitting somebody in the head. And then I, and I sit up, and I come over I said, come here, boy. And then I get real country, and I pull him to the side. And, you know, you know, I don't know if your mama ever caught you, and, and she's trying to explain the family virtues and rules to you, and your friends are all looking at you like, ooh. And so all the other little boys are seeing Noah, but, you know, I don't care. So I got him over here. I said, boy, let me tell you something right now. I said, do you want to be a football player, or do you want to be Mr. Funny Man? <laughs> right? Because if you want to be a football player, then you take your work seriously. I don't care what they doing, what you do as a Johnson and a football. So I'm giving it to him, right? How many of y'all ever had those conversations with your mom and daddy? <laughs> I just, I'm glad that as I was driving home, I was literally like, oh my God, I have turned into my mother. Because we were in the big black Baptist choir, we'd be sitting and I'd be sitting all the way on the edge and we'd be passing those, you want to be my girlfriend? And you know, my mom is soprano, so she'd be all the way over here and she'd be fanning because it's hot, you don't got AC, right? She fanning. Oh, no, she pointing at me, right? And when she pointed to you, and she called you, and she said, hey, now you want to go outside? And I knew what outside meant. And you know what? When you had thin walls in the back, back, black church, you know, everybody here, you get in the woman, so the preacher got to preach loud. It's like, hey, no, 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 hey, hey, hey. It was crazy, man. It was wild. It was wild. Well, that's a little Timmy out there, but don't worry. He'll be all right. He's just feeling the power of the Lord. Amen. All I want to say is this is an exclusive petition to people who call themselves disciples of the Lord. He, he retreats to the mountainside. He gains their attention. He says, these are the values that make us different from the rest of the world. And as you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you will see how the progression kind of just all of a sudden makes sense. These are the things that really the building blocks of Christian character. This is, let me, if you have notes, these are not spiritual gifts. This is not 1 Corinthians 12 where some were given the gift of mercy and some were given the gift of faith and knowledge and administration. This is not those where, hey man, hey, I'm poor in spirit but I'm not very meek. No, 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 it doesn't work like that, right? These are innate to people who call themselves disciples of the Lord Jesus. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Let's dive. Let's look at the first one. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the most important. This is which, this is really the beatitude which really all the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes hang. It simply means blessed are those who understand and they can acknowledge their spiritual poverty before God. Who you are before God. That is the pillar of Christianity. That idea, that motivation, that, that mindset, that worldview. If you don't understand that you are spiritually bankrupt, I don't know if God could be your father. Might be strong, but it's true. It's what we say. We are aware that Romans 3, that our mouths are open graves, that we didn't wake up seeking God. That matter of fact, we were running away from God, and it was God who came chasing after us. Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, He came and actually died for us. That there wasn't a, never an amount of not cussing or a week where we didn't watch secular TV. There was, we couldn't have done enough of that to be able to earn His salvation, His love, and His acceptance. We are spiritually bankrupt. Can I get an amen out there, somebody? 
Amen. The second one is much married to the first one. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the idea of mourning here is not Mimi died or or someone, there's a, a loss of a family or whatever. But this is literally mourning over your spiritual bankruptcy. It's mourning over your spiritual poverty. Now, one thing that I'm starting to understand is, you know, when you kind of come from charismatic church, one thing that we are exceptional at is feeling. All right? You know, we come to church and we'll be in that mug three hours and we come out there sweating like we just played five football games. Right? Because we brought everything to worship that day. Right? And so I'm trying to get used to a different type of theological worldview where it seems to be a little bit more mental, but I love it. Right? Let's communicate these truths. Let's understand uh, God. And not that that doesn't happen, but it seems to be a little heavier over there in some places than others. But let me tell you one thing where God says, I got to, I, I, let me help you understand it. See, the first beatitude was about information. Blessed are those who understand that they're spiritually bankrupt. The second beatitude is about the heart posture and the emotion attached to what you just know about yourself. He said it's not good enough that you understand and communicate that you're spiritually bankrupt. You need to mourn over it. You need to grieve it. You need to hate it. See, it's one thing to come here and say, hey, uh, what should I gain from his reward? I do not. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. See, that's one thing. It was my sin that held it there. Mine. When we're having a bad week in marriage, it's probably my brokenness that's that's causing some of it. When my kids are upset, it's probably the fact that sin and, and we're living in a broken world and I hate it. I grieve it. When is the last time that your sin, that the world's sin, has just drove us to tears and we've grieved it and we've hated it? You mourned over your selfishness. You hated the fact that you will deceive other people sometimes. You hate the fact that anger still resides in you. You hate the fact that you look at other women that aren't you. When is the last time your sin has moved you? I don't care that you can. Yeah, I'm a sinner in need of grace. Yeah, great. It's one thing to communicate it. It's another thing to feel the weight of it. When's the last time? You stayed up late at night because you know you, you've not honored the Lord the way that you should. When? Blessed are those who mourn. Because guess what? Those people who mourn and lament and grieve, the promise is this, that one day you're going to be comforted. One day you'll, you won't feel the weight of that sin no more because it'll be eliminated. Anybody excited about that day? I know I am. Let's go. Let's keep moving. I can't scare you yet. I got so much more to go. (laughs) Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So once you understand that you're spiritually bankrupt, you're impoverished, that you don't bring anything actually to God, but it's Him doing all the doing, then you walk with more humility. There's no way that you can look at anybody in here and be like, yeah, (laughs) you're a junior varsity Christian, right? Because you know yourself, right? You know how sometimes when you, you know... You walk in the door some weeks and you know you, you'd killed it that week. You know, hey, you've been kind to your children. You know, you've been, you and your wife had just a God-honoring, serving week, serving each other. And, you, you know, you're walking in and you're like, 
Oh, poor, poor people, I know your lives are a wreck, but thank God that I'm killing it as a Christian. You know you can't do that. Just, you just know you can't because you know the truth about yourself. And when you know the truth about yourself, then you can't look down on others. You have a meek posture. Right? I love when they, when they refer to Moses in the scriptures, the meekest man on the earth, the leader of the nation of Israel, the meekest man on the face of the earth, because he understood who he was in position to God, and he could not dare let himself look at himself above those who he was leading and serving. Has your understanding of your spiritually bankruptness, has it helped you to be meek? Let's keep moving. Blessed are those who hunger. And thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love it. You know, this is one of the first... Um, how many of y'all do family worship? You do family worship? Don't lie. <laughs> we try. Only because I sing a little bit. That I probably just... It's my singing that ends up turning into, Hey, y'all, why don't you sing with me? And they're usually like, Oh, dad. Right, that's what I get. Any, any dads out there know what I'm talking about? Oh, dad. Right? So, you know, anyway. So, we're... we're um, salty. Y'all ever heard of Salty? <laughs> it's a big giant Bible. Oh, I got an amen in the back. He sings some of the cheesiest songs alive. But it was the way I understood scripture. And so, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his... Oh, okay then. I see you, Kathleen. Oh my God. So anyway, we're, we're singing this. And it's one of the first, one of the first verses I learned, but I didn't understand it. I just really didn't understand it, especially in context with everything else. One of the natural, I think the natural progression is once you understand your spiritual break, bankruptness and you mourn over it and you grieve over it and, and, and you see this world that has been affected by sin, do you realize that what is happening in this world is not the result of politics, it's the result of sin. Do you realize that? That the wars, the molestations, the, the murder, the violence, it's because we have not sought the kingdom of God first. That's why we pray like, Lord, let your kingdom come. Because we know that one day when people's hearts are dominated by your values and your truths, we will live in a peace and a harmony and a unity that this world has not known. One day is coming. Anybody excited that one day it is coming? So we seek the first. That's why we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for our own sanctification. Amen, somebody. We hunger and thirst for ourselves to grow in grace and knowledge because we know that as even as a husband, as I, be, as I begin to look more like Christ, her life value begins to increase. As I begin to conform to the ends of Christ, then my neighborhood changed. When people are being led by Jesus, things will change, y'all. And that's what we want. That's why we hunger and thirst for righteousness to come and appear. Let's keep it moving. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you understand how needy you are, and you can have compassion for people in need, for their sinners too. 
And that's, that's physical needs and spiritual needs. So I, I heard John Piper say once, we care about all need and all suffering, right? As Christians, we care about all the people's needs, all their suffering. Whether you stubbed your toe on the way to church this morning, whether you got a runny nose, whether you got cancer, whether you had to go see uh, uh, the orthopedic surgeon, we care about all the suffering. Whether you don't have any money, but most of all, we care about your spiritual suffering, right? And so that's why Christians, the kingdom of God, ought to really be the, taking the lead on at least two fronts. We ought to be serving with rent, habitat, all of that really should be kind of flowing out of the church, right? We should be leading the world and doing for others, right? Regardless of whether they deserve it or not, right? Because at the basis of mercy, it's receiving what we did not deserve, right? So we ought to lead the world in just finding people who are hurting and trying to meet needs. And more even than that is forgiveness. When it's time for reconciliation of any sort, Right? We know that we don't have an axe to grind. We know that we're only here because someone's been merciful to us. And so therefore we're, we are eager to extend mercy to other people. How about this one? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. To live a life public and private that's transparent before God and men. We kind of addressed this earlier. I just want to bring it to bear just even a little more. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus is, he will take a considerable amount of time to focus on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, guys who knew the law backwards and forwards, who knew the scripture and the tradition backwards and forwards. And he would even go so far as to call them <laughs> vipers and whitewashed tombs, right? Guys who, at, at, on the outside, it looked good, but in the inside, it was dead. That's what he said. It's dead. It's full of bones, right? And so what he's saying is, be far from that. And the way that you're far from that is, is not that I'm after perfection, but in your innermost parts, I'm after truth. I'm after truth, the pure in heart. So he's saying, hey man, listen, let's be honest before God and men about our spiritual bankruptcy. Right? I love how God in, in Genesis, he's like, hey Adam, where are you? He already knew where Adam was. But uh, I learned from John Bryson, confession is just you and God agreeing on the state of your heart. It's you and God openly acknowledging about the truth of who you are. That's why he asks you to be in those community groups where you can be before people, where you can be your true spell, self and experience grace and confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Confession is important because it is just literally you agreeing about the truth of your spiritual bankruptcy. And you know, the reality is some of us like to do that in private before God. And we hate it when other people call it out in us. I'm like, hey brother, I think you need to work on your attitude. What you mean? Lord, forgive me for my attitude. Well, what is the word? What? So God can check you, but your brother can't, right? No, that's not living as a pure in heart, transparent before God and before men, right? Truth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, as Christians, our first step is we try desperately, like Romans says, to live peaceably with all men. We do. Jew, Muslim, international, different religion, it doesn't matter. We try to live peaceably with all men. That should be us leading the charge with that, right? But also, part of that 
is to strive for peace, but also reconciliation, and maybe even the ultimate reconciliation. And that is 2 Corinthians 5, is to reconcile our fallen brothers to Christ, to our Creator, so that we can truly be uh, reconciled as a family. Lastly, I kind of clumped the last three into one single idea, and that is kind of those persecuted for righteousness' sake. As I was reading Stott's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he said that persecution is what happens when two irreconcilable value systems start to clash. You know, as much as we'll try to live peaceably with everybody, do you realize that just because you bear the name Christian, just because you're one of the king's kids, you will be persecuted? You will experience tension. How many of you have already started to feel the tensions? That, that ultimately, just because we bear the markets, these will, these will break down. It's like Capulet and Montague, right? Don't even understand. We just hate you because we know we're supposed to hate you, right? It's like blood and crit for those of you in the room. I don't understand. But some of us are still in the la-la land that we're going to be able to seek his righteousness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and be able to live in the middle of of this world and everybody likes the fact that our value system is different from the rest of the world. You're living in a fairy tale. It's not true. And you need to know and you need to you need to understand that that's a, actually almost a, just as sure as the promise is for they shall be called sons of God. You need to know that as you begin to conform your life to the values of Christ, you should expect opposition. But some of us have kind of been so duped that I love how T was praying, man. Hey, you know what? Some of us, the world will make us seem like our God has lost its power. One of the other things is some of the, sometimes the world will make us feel like, hey, man, secularism. Hey, you know what? You're okay to worship your God just as long as you don't tell us what we need to do. Baloney. Do you understand that the kingdom coming to bear is actually us saying, man, we got a better way. We disagree with your way. We got a better way to do marriage. We got a better way to raise kids. We got a better way to do economy. We got a better way to live single. We think we have a better way. And if you are not, if you are afraid to live life in light of that, I don't know if the kingdom of God is yours, actually. You know, you can be socially tolerable and loving and still be theologically obstinate and disagree like I love you hey listen same sex marriage couple I want you to come to my barbecue I want you to sleep on my couch but I want you to know I still disagree with you though but I can love you and disagree with you at the same time can I get a witness out there somebody amen lights and walls I appreciate you let's wind this thing down let me, uh, Mike Rhodes, who's our resident theologian, he, he sent out some quotes. Matt, I'm going to read the last quote. It's just in, in regards to the kingdom. It says his relationship. Let's go to the next one. Yes. Let's just read that. It says they were, in other words, the advanced signs of the time that when the whole world would be filled with divine glory... Each lamp 
that was lit in Colossae or Philippi or wherever was a point of light of divine presence as a sign of the dawn that would come when the whole world would be so illuminated. God's not asking us to be merciful or or be meek just for meekness sake. But this is actually, this is almost like the Holy Spirit in Ephesians where he says, I'm going to give you the spirit as a down payment that one day I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come back and get you. And us living out kingdom value, when we decide to live out the life that our Heavenly Father's asked us to do, it's like a down payment. It's like a little taste of what is to come. He says, man, as y'all live out your faith convictions uh, in small little hubs around this world, this is like a little light of what day one day I will do when I consume this whole world. One day, y'all. Let's go to the last slide. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about how each and every one of these Beatitudes began with the word blessed. Number one, it says blessed actually carries with a connotation that means happy, fortunate, and blissful, right? And the idea here was to, Jesus was bringing his kids away from the other kids to tell them that the way that you pursue blessedness, happiness, bliss, is going to be so antithetical to the rest of the world, I want it to be, right? He said, hey, nobody's going to tell you the way that you climb the ladder is to be meek. Nobody's going to tell you the way to happiness is to be merciful. But this is what we do, and this is the way you're going to find true happiness. The second connotation was this, that actually um, these oracles um, uh, that, that literally Jesus is speaking to, he's postured himself like a rabbi, and he's speaking in a literary style that his audience would understand as almost like he was a rabbi. And one of the ways when they heard the word blessed, they would understand that to mean that Jehovah's face is turning towards them with pleasure. That God's face is looking upon them with pleasure. And, and he's pleased. You know, this week, my son got a big mouth. I don't know where he gets it from. Not even really sure. So he's on the bus, and uh, he comes home, and he's like, Dad, Johnny hit me. And I said, oh, man, what happened? And, uh, well, you know, kids play the dozens, your mama and your daddy and all that. And so I think Johnny wasn't playing and tagged him. And, uh, and, and Noah said, Dad. Mr. So-and-so, one of the parents from around our neighborhood heard it, and he saw the commotion, and he told Noah, he said, man, hit him back next time. And I said, well, Noah, did you hit him? And he was like, no, I didn't hit him, Dad. And I smiled. I said, I'm proud of you, man. In the midst of this world, that's values are going this way. When you see your kids inadvertently, advertently, whatever, going the other way, does it not make you smile? Does it not make you rejoice and say, hey, man, that's what it means to be a Johnson. These are the values that we're pumping into this household. And I'm so proud of you as you stand against what the rest of the world is doing. That's good news to you, bad news to me, that buzzer. Anyway, stay with me here. When God sees us having a... Uh, uh, understanding our spiritual bankruptcy when he sees us in meekness and being merciful and, and standing even under the persecution of righteous do you know that your father in heaven 
is smiling. He's looking at you with pleasure. And last but not least, the comfort of all the Beatitudes. As I read the first eight, one of the repeated blessings. So the sentence would start, blessed are those. And it would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then the blessing would, one of the blessings would be at the tail end of the sentence. At least two or three times, here was one of the blessings. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when you live in this world and you're trying so hard through Christ's grace to live and do what he asks you to do, you get worn down. How many know you get tired? I was like, why can't I just do what everybody else do? If I'm 18 to 25 year old and everybody else is having recreational sex, why can't I? Right? How many of y'all have set up under things and you're going the opposite direction and you know it's just hard? Why do I have to be patient? Why do I have to be loving? Don't this person deserve justice? Why am I turning the other cheek? And what the Lord Jesus repeatedly says throughout this is, one day the kingdom will be yours. One day there will exist a world where there is no sin. You don't have to be suspicious of your brother. You won't have to worry about hurting other people. You won't have to worry about justice. It will exist and it will exist in its entirety. And if you want to talk about being happy, you will see it in its fullness. And one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ. And he will reign over us as Lord over Lords and King over Kings. That is the encouragement to the people who are dared to be strong enough to go the opposite direction of the current. One day he promises you'll reign with me. Does that make anybody in here happy? He says, Romans says it groans, the earth groans. It groans, it's in labor pains, it's straining because it knows it's hard. I'm encouraging you today just to feel the tension. Don't just zoom past it. Feel the tension of a broken world. And what it's really needing is the kingdom of God to come to bear through our lives. And Maranatha, we're, we're crying for him to come back one day. And understand that through God's grace, you're not going to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to be poor in my spirit. <laughs> but through God's grace... He will help you to do what truth is demanding of you. Can we pray? Lord, the old song says, uh, Nothing in my hands I bring Only to thy cross I cling God, would you help us to understand the fundamental truth of Christianity that we're living and we're a part of a broken world and we need you we need you to dominate our hearts and we need you to come quickly would you help us to clothe ourselves in Christ dare to be different and, and dare to go the opposite way of the world so that your kingdom come on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.